Hello, and welcome to Business Talk, brought to you by Business West and Living Local. Hi, I'm Chris Kellogg from the Kellogg Crew Morning Show on 94.7 WMAS, and I'd like to introduce our host of Business Talk. He's the editor and associate publisher of Business West. Here's George O'Brien. Hey, thank you, and welcome to another episode of Business Talk. I'd like to wish you all a happy new year. Hope you had a, a great holiday weekend. Uh, this will be our last episode of 2020. Uh, I think I speak for everyone when I say good riddance to 2020 and welcome to 2021. Uh, and that brings us to uh, our guest for the show. He is Bob Nakastein. He is a professor of economics at the UMass Eisenberg School of Management. Uh, good morning, Bob. How are you? Good, George. Good to see you. Good to see you, too, even if it's by Zoom. But the That's nice right. image of Eisenberg in the background on your, your Zoom picture. Our audience can't see that, but but I can. So anyway, we have Bob uh, on uh, at this time of year. Uh, Bob and I have kind of been doing this uh, in the magazine for, for years now. Uh, we kind of take the opportunity at the end of the year or the beginning of another one to talk about the economy and what's going to happen with it. Uh, outlook, uh, economic outlook, if you will. Uh, Bob, all... Every year we've done this, the assignment has been difficult because we don't know what is going to come down the road. Uh, we don't know what's going to happen in the first quarter of the year, let alone for the entire year. But this year, it, it's just much more difficult because of all the unknowns and all the variables and all the factors that are going to play into this. But um, that's not going to stop me from asking. Uh, and it's not going to stop you from conjecturing, if you will. Uh, I don't know where you want to start. Um, maybe let's start with um, just what we're, what we're sensing uh, as, the, as the calendar turns. We're not officially in recession, or, or maybe we are. Uh, well, this has been such a strange time. In, in March, um, we had the sudden stop economy. Uh, just don't come. Uh, just stay away. And that led to a precipitous drop uh, in economic activity. If you had a graph, picture a graph where um, the graph is fairly level, the line of the graph is fairly level, and suddenly it plunges vertically. It just plunges. We've never had a recession start that way uh, in memory. Ten years ago, there was a buildup of, of bad mortgages and dodgy funding. Ten years before that, there was a, a buildup of dot-com stock prices. Twenty years before that, there was, um, and, and, and prior to that, there, when we had a manufacturing economy, you saw unintended inventory accumulation lead to recession. Uh, but never before has everybody just stopped coming. What happened after that precipitous drop is there was an almost as precipitous rise uh, in activity as the economy started to open up. The problem was that we, where we got back to was crawling up to the bottom. Uh, if you look at the, at the, comparisons between what's happening now and what happened uh, in the summer and 10 years ago in, in the worst recession since the Great Depression, we are kind of almost back to the trough of that recession 10 years ago. It, it's taken us from the very bottom, plumbing new depths, to, um, to being right about where we, where we started when, at the depths of the recession 10 years ago. For example, <clears throat> in, um, in Springfield, the unemployment rate after March rose to over 20%. Uh, it has since dropped to just below 12%. Uh, 
Well, just below 12% was where unemployment was in Springfield at the depths of the recession. So that's sort of the, the prologue to what uh, we're going to see in the future. And in the way we do know what's going to happen, I, I agree with you, there's a lot of uncertainty. But interestingly enough, what we know is there's going to be a vaccine. What we know is a lot of people are going to be inoculated. Um, what we don't know is how good the rollout's going to be. What we don't know is how quickly that'll lead people to, to re-engage in the economy. So it's a strange situation in that we have complete certainty about what's going to come next, but yet a lot of uncertainty about how that's going to play out. And that's why there's so many questions about what shape this recovery is going to be. Everybody's talking about the recovery and the various shapes it can take. We all know the, the V-shape where it goes down and then it goes back up quickly. And maybe we had a V-shaped recovery uh, back in the spring. There's also the, the U-shape where it lingers at the bottom and then it goes back up. Now, there's this talk of the Nike swoosh-shaped recovery, and uh, there's also the W-shaped recovery, and, and, and some people say that's what we might be headed for. What, what shape do you project? Well, I'll, I'll be interested to see um, economic data for the end of the year, which won't come out for a while, of course. Uh, we may already be in a, in a refined W-shaped recovery in that with the the accumulation of COVID cases and deaths uh, and the now increasing lockdown or restrictions being placed on not just Massachusetts, but virtually all states, economic activity is certainly slowing as the year comes to an end and we begin 2021. After that, it's really a matter of, as I said, the rollout of the vaccine and how people take to it. Just a quick anecdote. This morning I was out shopping and I saw somebody walking along without a mask and I was repelled by that sight. I wonder how long it's going to be before we will all accept people walk without masks and re-engage, especially in the service economy. So I guess I think we're, we may be in the, on the cusp of a W, but then after that I see the Nike swoosh. Uh, maybe at the end of the swoosh, a real sharp acceleration upwards when people truly gain confidence Mm -hmm. in uh, the vaccine and, and, and in the economy. Well, you mentioned re-engaging and, and people coming back out, uh, kind of moving us past where we were last March, where the economy just stopped. The, the phrase you're hearing over and over and over again is pent-up demand. And we're hearing it for everything from, you know, going to a restaurant to, uh, you know, going back to college after taking a gap year or a semester or a year off or just there's going to be pent up demand in, in so many areas. But at the same time, maybe there won't be pent up demand for things like office space or some of these other things that, that you know, people have been doing so well over the years. You know, now there's there's vacancies in office space. Maybe they won't be that pent up demand. But to what level do you see this pent up demand determining what is going to happen in 2020. Well, it'll be, it it, there's definitely pent up demand. It'll be interesting to see the extent to which people have changed their habits permanently. Absolutely. Um, we are, we are all in a, in a, in a new world. Uh, we do things differently. We order more online. We go out less. Um, I would like to get back to going out more, but my guess is that my life has changed and will never really go back to where it was before the pandemic. And to the extent that that um, that is true economy wide, uh, pent up demand is going to be blunted somewhat. But, George, there's no doubt 
that there is pent up demand, that people are anxious. My goodness, if you look at the states where there is much less uh, adherence to these rules about social distancing and masks, people are out in hordes. People are hungry, uh, especially younger people, to get out and, and have a life again. So there definitely is pent up demand, but there's also going to be, I think, kind of pushing against it. There's going to be a permanent change in people's habits, and that's going to blunt the pent up demand. This is a business talk a podcast presented by Business West in partnership with Living Local. I am George O'Brien, the editor of Business West magazine. We're talking with Bob Nockestein. He is a professor of economics at UMass Amherst, the Eisenberg School there. We are talking about the economy and what is going to happen in the year ahead. Bob, you've often said, and I think you said you've got a, a sign or a poster in your office talking about how you can see the future by looking to the past. Uh, I don't think we can do that this year. There's, there's just absolutely no way we can use the past as a guide for what's going to happen next. How does that uh, uh, impact economists like you who are continuously being asked by people like me to talk about uh, what's going to happen next year and what's going to determine what's going to happen next year? Well, th that's right. The science said you can see the future by looking at the past. And all statisticians and economic forecasters depend on that maxim. Uh, but as you suggest, there's no precedent for what we're experiencing right now. Um, what I've come to believe, uh, I've seen some, some economists who've gotten involved with epidemiologists. And what they've done is they've hooked models of COVID um, to models of the economy, and they've had them interact. So the economists, I think, who've done the best job in uh, forecasting what's going to happen are the ones who've embraced the idea of this amplified interaction between public health and the economy. And I've seen simulations uh, based on that where uh, the economy recovers more quickly if there is a, a, a higher percentage of folks wearing masks and practicing distancing. Uh, the economy recovers more slowly if those things aren't the case and we keep fighting uh, COVID into the future. So you are absolutely right that this is unprecedented, but I've seen economists, uh, myself not included, I've watched in awe as they've done this. Uh, I've seen economists embrace uh, the interaction of public health and the economy, and I've seen some pretty interesting results come out of that. By the way, results that have been borne out over the past few months. Oh, I've asked a lot of people this question, and I'll ask you as well. Uh, I, it appears that we have a way to stop the spread of the virus or at least control the spread of the virus and that is to shut down parts of the economy social distance wear masks do all those things uh and we have a way to keep the economy going uh, by probably not doing any of those things but i guess the question that i have for you and i have for everybody else is can we save the economy and stop the spread of the virus at the same time have any countries successfully done that is there a model that we can follow or are we going to only do one or the other? Well, unfortunately, at least in my understanding, there really is a trade-off between the two. And it's a, it's a short to intermediate term trade-off. Uh, that trade-off is going to disappear once the vaccine is widely spread. But um, it seems as though the extent to which the economy gets shut down, the population becomes more protected against covid Conversely, uh, the extent to which the economy opens up, opens up prematurely, opens up um, too much, 
uh, you see COVID start to, to reaccelerate. So uh, I wish I had a different story to tell you, but I do think there is a trade-off. One goes up, the other goes down. One goes down, the other goes up. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think the, the business with the vaccine is to carry us past this trade-off and get everything moving in the same direction. Interesting. So as we talk about the economy moving forward, there were so many factors that are going to determine where we go. And I guess consumer confidence is one of them. Uh, Consumer spending is another. We saw another stimulus package uh, passed by Congress. Uh, The president had not signed it as of the timing on this particular podcast, but I believe he's expected to do that. What is that nine hundred billion dollar package going to do is that going to provide any lasting relief is this temporary is this enough uh, and if it's not enough can we expect congress to continue to do this uh, that was a lot of questions all at once but i think you know where i'm getting at i do know where you're <clears throat> where you're going with this um what happened in the in the spring and early summer with the the much larger Uh, economic support legislation was that the economy really did avoid um, the worst of the possibilities. The people who have lost their jobs are the ones generally who are least able to withstand a loss of jobs. And what the initial uh, legislation did was it supported those folks. Uh, It gave them enough money to pay their rent, to buy their food. And of course, that money gets into the economy with positive cascading effects. Um, That legislation passed a bill that was about three times larger than the one that Congress passed at the end of 2020. And of course, it's going to have that much more of an effect. This one is a much more conservative bill. It's, it's definitely going to do some good. My guess is that uh, the economy is not going to recover fully until we get another boost like this. One of the things that happens during an economic crisis is that a will one government will provide temporary support as the economy heals itself. This is not meant to be permanent. This is temporary and it's a bridge to the future. And right now we need a bridge to the future that has an inoculated population that has confidence to get out and re-engage in the economy. So this is going to have salutary effects. I think incoming President Biden has his work cut out for him uh, to get another package passed. But there's no doubt that the economy could probably use another package in the spring to really prompt the economy into full recovery mode. So you often talk about the differences between Massachusetts and the rest of the the country. Uh, Massachusetts, has this kind of leveled the playing field and, and, and brought us back to the rest of the country in terms of uh, employment and inflation and recession and all of those factors? Well, the interesting thing um, about what's happened is that uh, early on in the pandemic, when you think about who, who got hit first and hardest, it was the East Coast. It was the Northeast Coast. So um, the state economy went down considerably further then the national economy went down. And once again, that's the interaction of public health and, and economic performance. As the recovery has gone on, even in a, in a mild form, in a restricted form, we have, in fact, kind of kept pace with the national economy. This has been a leveling event uh, in, the, in the most recent unemployment data that I've looked at, which I think was for November. The state unemployment rate was exactly the same 
as the national unemployment rate. That is kind of unheard of in our economic history. Usually we are considered to be above at the beginning of a recession, considerably below as the recession, as the recovery picks up. But we are right on the mark with tracking what the U.S. economy is doing. And I guess you could interpret that as a leveling. Mm-hmm. Um, although, let me add one more qualification. Um, the biggest increase in jobs, most industries have lost jobs. The biggest increase in jobs that we've seen in the state have been for professional and technical services. And I think what's happening, and it happened in the recession 10 years ago, is that companies are seeking ways to do things better, more efficiently, to improve their processes, maybe to get along without as many workers. And the state economy is well positioned to to support those kind of activities. And you see it in the employment numbers. Well, I've asked you a lot of questions that you, you can't answer or have a hard time answering. But but here's another one. You talked about the Northeast. The major cities in the Northeast, Boston, New York, um, some of these other ones, talk about not being able to predict the future. Uh, I mean, just how many companies are going to go back to their offices in those cities? Uh, how many are going to look at this and say, you know, there's a better way to do this. There's a more affordable way to do this. We don't have to be in these cities anymore. Our workers don't have to live in these expensive cities anymore. Um, can you project how the landscape might change ultimately because of well, the pandemic? Not knowing what yeah. I'm talking about has never hindered me from um, <laughs> making predictions and, and uh, mapping out what the future might look like. I can tell you one anecdote um, that in New York City, they are talking about converting office space into living space. And, uh, of course, New York has a, a chronic shortage of affordable housing. But I think that's a that's an indication of where people are, how people are thinking and where we might be going, that some of the office space in New York City may never be occupied again uh, in its original form and in its original intent. And I think you might see maybe not as dramatically as as some are predicting, but I think you might see some conversions, um, some people who now uh, companies who now understand that that remote work actually does work, that you don't need these, the most expensive office space in the country, which is uh, true of downtown New York and downtown Boston. Uh, I think you could see some, some dramatic, if not extensive changes that are more or less permanent in, in how businesses do business. And I think it could affect uh, the spaces you're talking about. And here we come back to a question we've, talked about for I don't know how many times the level of the playing field with Western Massachusetts. Now you don't need people uh, in office space in expensive Boston or expensive New York, but they don't need to live around those areas either. Uh, We're hearing stories from realtors that people are looking at properties in Western Mass. They're they're looking at areas out here now. They want to get away from those cities. They want to look at well, not in Long Meadow necessarily, but uh, and maybe Long Meadow, but they, they want to look at some of these other towns out toward the, the eastern part of western Massachusetts and even the Berkshires and Franklin County. Uh, is this a real opportunity for this region? And if so, do you think it's positioned to capitalize on it? Well, one of the really striking patterns in the metro Boston area, when you look at, at life, life cycles of, of young workers, is that uh, many people who graduate in the Boston metro area, you really want to stay in Boston, and they do. Um, but when they get to a certain age where they're beginning to form families, they're beginning to have children, uh, you see a really pronounced exodus 
from the region. They move south. They move west. They move anywhere they can to do what? To get less expensive housing. So there's no doubt that you talked about pent up demand. There's no doubt that among a certain class of workers in the metro Boston area, there is a pent up demand for affordable housing. And if if this part of the state can exploit this, what's going to happen is that young workers who would have left the region entirely will perhaps telecommute, work remotely, not be so tied geographically to their work site. And that really could lead to an exodus of the uh residential patterns in Metro Boston, and it could really inject a buoyancy to our real estate markets out here. Whether we're positioned to do it, George, uh, I can't say that I'm, I'm familiar enough. I, I'm always surprised the extent to which uh, housing is tight in the attractive neighborhoods in Western Massachusetts. So that remains to be seen, but I think there's going to, there's a real good chance that especially young families uh, of professionals who can work remotely might seek out cheaper venues for housing. And that might positively affect our part of the state. It'd be wonderful to see it. It would indeed. All right, Bob, we could go on for a long time, but we are officially out of time. I want to thank you again for uh, coming uh, on our show uh, this time of year. That was a lot of insight for a lot of people, a lot of good things to think about. So uh, you have a wonderful new year. Uh, I hope 2021 is much better than 2020 for you, the university, my alma mater, and for all of us. Well, that's what we all wish, George, and, and Happy New Year to you as well. I thank you very much. And Happy New Year to all of our listeners. This has been Business Talk, a podcast presented by Business West in partnership with Living Local. I am George O'Brien, editor of Business West magazine. We will see you next time.